Introducing your starting lineup for the NBA's Most Valuable Podcast. He's a 5'10 forward out of Carleton University. Give it up for Bradford. Welcome back, guys, to the NBA's Most Valuable Podcast. Jeff, we're in for a jam-packed episode today. First, I want to know, how are you doing, man? Lots of NBA basketball, so great, exciting. It's been fun to watch, except for, um, except for the fact that I am a Raptors fan, so mm. that game wasn't the greatest, but other than that, doing pretty good. How about you, man? I don't know how you can be so optimistic right now, man. I mean, it was a pretty cloudy day today in the Toronto area. The Raptors on the brink of extinction, a title that I want to say Jeff coined in, before we started this podcast. But, yeah, it's just it's not a good time to be a Raptors fan because the Raptors, they're not doing so hot. They got blown out in a pivotal game five that they needed to win. And now it's do or die for them. So we're definitely going to get into talking about the Raptors. But first, we're going to talk about the recent award winners that were announced because we didn't really go over a lot of them in our podcast I mean we went through our predictions in a previous episode but a lot of those winners are have been announced since then so first we got Harold winning sixth man of the year to me a little bit of a surprise because uh, we both picked Dennis Schroeder to win it the guard out of the guard of Oklahoma City but Harold took the award so what were your initial reactions to that I mean, Harold is definitely an important part of the LA Clippers uh, roster. But to me, if two of the LA Clipper uh, bench players are nominated for the sixth man of the year, um, that says that maybe, like, you know, their their impact isn't as impactful as a Dennis Schroeder, who's clearly been the dominant force of uh, the OKC Thunder offense coming off the bench. He's that number one clear definitive guy. Well, if you look at the Clippers, then if by that logic, if you're saying that Lou Williams and uh, Montrezl Harrell are both six-man candidates, then they're both irreplaceable. Uh, sorry, replaceable. Like they both they both can uh, provide that role. So in in a way, when you think about it, they're kind of sharing that role. So just based off like, um, and I'm not even talking about just performance and statistics, just the fact of importance to a team. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Clippers have the luxury of having two good bench players, while uh, the OKC Thunder, they have Dennis Schroeder, who is that six man. Right. And I think Lou Williams even said it himself when uh, there was talk about the award being given to either him or Harold when they announced the finalist. He was basically saying that he just wanted the award to be given to Harold since he's already gotten a couple of six man of the year awards in his career. But I definitely get what you're saying. 
And I also expected a lot of voters to be split between Harrell and Williams because they're both on the Clippers. But um, I was surprised to see Harrell win this one. So definitely congrats to him. You got John Morant winning Rookie of the Year. I don't think that was much of a surprise to anybody. I was just surprised that Zion got a first place vote, considering he only played a handful of games, like maybe like 20 plus games. Yeah, it's just, it's the hype, you know, and we've talked about it before. Zion's obviously a very exciting player, but Ja clearly deserved it. I mean, like uh, he, he carried the Memphis Grizzlies team to be a very tough competitor where they made it to the play-in uh, tournament against the Portland Trailblazers when um, there were definitely some teams that missed out. Um, so kudos to John Morant. He's an exciting young player and uh, more years to come for that young man for sure. Yeah, I mean, I definitely understand the Zion hype, but the fact that a lot of people are making him out to be the next face of the NBA, considering the fact that we have Luka Doncic already, that's kind of uh, perplexing to me. I mean, Zion's athleticism is real, but I think Luka is just at the same age he was at in his rookie year. Like, he, he was just way more special than Zion, in my opinion. But we don't need to get into the debate for that because I think we're pretty much on the same page. Giannis picked up the Defensive Player of the Year. I think this is a really interesting award for him to win because he's clearly one of the most de defensively dominant players in the regular season. But then when you're in the playoffs, you, he's getting criticism for not even guarding a guy like Jimmy Butler. So, I mean, playoffs and regular season is different. But I think you and I were both expecting Giannis to take this award regardless. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about the, the – really contributed to uh, Milwaukee's uh, regular season record and that's why I think we both picked uh, Giannis to win that for sure. Yeah and I was also a little bit surprised that a guy like Brooke Lopez didn't really get too many votes because Brooke mm -hmm. Lopez is a big part of that Milwaukee defense and his rim protection along with Giannis is what made them a really defensively dominant team in the regular season. And obviously in the playoffs, that didn't really pan out too well for them. And mm -hmm. we're definitely going to get to that later in the podcast. Uh, last word we need to talk about individually anyway is Nick Nurse winning the rookie, the coach of the year, not the rookie of the year. He was a rookie coach last season in his second season as a head coach with no Kawhi and a depleted roster throughout the season, he picked up the coach of the year award. Again, I don't think this was a surprise to neither of us. He had to deal with a lot of injuries throughout the entire season. Obviously the big storyline, no Kawhi Leonard, with Pascal Siakam taking on the mantle as the guy. And just in general, I think a lot of people expected the Raptors to underperform this year. And instead they made the playoffs currently down 3-2 against a tough Celtics team. I don't think anybody even expected the Raptors to be this good. I wouldn't even say I expected this team to be this good, to be fair. For sure. Uh, Nick Nurse is definitely a very tactical, smart, uh, creative coach. I mean, so you've definitely even seen it through the way he's coached during the playoffs. Um, you know, the other co the coach that uh, was in the nominations was Billy Donovan. Mm -hmm. And I mean, looking at Billy Dolphin, like what he did with that team is impressive. 
Um, but I actually kind of, I would say lost respect for him, but I kind of like saw his true colors a little bit during the playoffs. Again, I know this is such a regular season um, award, but of his lack of ability to uh, make the good, the good playoff adjustments during the playoffs made me really realize that he's more of just a player coach, you know? Mm-hmm. He's a coach that like, he, like he's been, the way some players have talked about him, he's been, he's a very nice guy, a friendly guy. But when it comes to the tactics, making in-game adjustments, he's not up there with the greatest. So, yeah, I, de- I, mean, I definitely have to if, agree. But at the same time, but at the same time, they've awarded Coach of the Year to those type of coaches before too. So, like, it's, I wouldn't say that he lost, I, he did, he didn't deserve that nomination for sure. I mean, looking at OKC Thunder's record and what they've accomplished, uh, he deserved it a little bit. Yeah. I'll tell you what. I think the thing that surprised me in this Coach of the Year race is that Mike Budenholzer actually finished in oh. second place in, ahead mm-hmm. of Billy Donovan, which to yeah. my opinion, like, I wouldn't have been surprised if Billy Donovan took the award over Nick Nurse just because, you know, American voters, you know, and then yeah. vote for American team or whatever. But the fact that Budenholzer, who to me, he's a definitely a decent coach. I think the same things you're saying about um, Billy Donovan is very valid for Bud. I think he's more of a regular season coach, though, when you look at what he does in the regular season versus what he does in the playoffs. You don't see him do too much variation in his plays. Like, it's mostly the same thing every single time in his defensive schemes. And that's definitely showing right now against the Miami Heat, which, again, we keep alluding to, which we will get to. The game's just currently on right now while we're recording, so we're waiting for that one to finish. But, yeah, I was just so so surprised that Budenholzer actually – beat out Billy Donovan in the voting. But nonetheless, the coach that deserved to win ended up winning the award. So congrats to Nick Nurse. Hopefully more to come. And the last thing we need to talk about is something that was announced today as the day we're recording this. The all-defensive teams have been announced. So I'm just going to go over the all-defensive teams here. So in the first team, we got Giannis, Anthony Davis, Ben Simmons, Rudy Gobert, and Marcus Smart. And then in the second team, we got Brooke Lopez, Kawhi Leonard, Bam Adebayo, Eric Bledsoe, and Patrick Beverly. So Hmm. are there any picks here that have surprised you or any picks here that didn't surprise you, just in general? Um, Nothing really uh, surprised me. I think everyone who's got um, definitely deserves it. I look at the first two, for example. I mean, obviously, you've got to have the big three who were nominated for Defensive Player of the Year Gobert, Giannis, and Anthony Davis. Uh, ben Simmons is a very good defensive uh, player for sure. And then Marcus Smart, um, especially with how he's been playing um, during uh, this playoff series against the Raptors, mm-hmm. I've really taken note to how well he is. And like when big switch onto him, it's not necessarily a mismatch for the big man because he can hold his own. So I definitely, I mean, he's not the greatest offensive player and I'm, I'm not a big fan of his flopping, but when it comes to yep. his defense, like he's definitely one of the best in the league. Um, and then looking at the second team, also um, not too much to complain about with uh, the second team. I mean, I, as a Raptors fan, I would maybe switch out uh, Lowry with, uh, sorry, Beverly with Lowry. Oh. Um, but like <laughs> that's my 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 personal bias there. But hmm. uh, Beverly, I'm not. 
I, I want to me saying what I'm saying right now. I'm I'm hating on Beverly, but like I would love Beverly on my team. And yeah, he's I, a guy you'd want on your team, but a player yeah. like you hate if he's on the other team. Yeah, he's annoying. Like I I can't stand that man. But I guess yeah, like I said earlier. Um, and then Eric Bledsoe, Bam Adebayo, Kawhi, Brook Lopez. I mean, you touched on Brook Lopez and how impactful he's been on the defensive end for the Milwaukee Bucks as well. So he definitely deserves that um, second team. So nothing really to be surprised about. I have nothing really to complain about. So um, not too bad. How about you? What do you think? I think just to be fair, I haven't seen too much footage of Eric Bledsoe's defensive capabilities, but he's just a guy that always makes the defensive team for some reason, like the last two or three years now. And for me, I think there's like players that, play defense a little more understated and make more of an impact like again the Toronto bias is fully on display but Kyle Lowry when he's like engaged and he's taking charges and the way he can switch out onto bigs and guard a lot of bigger players and taller players I think that's that's something that should be accounted for and to be fair Lowry did receive uh, 23 total points in the vote um, I, I didn't see any footage of Chris Dunn and maybe um, my guy Kevin on the Ball and Roll podcast can maybe tell me more about Chris Dunn's defensive impact. But he got 31 total votes, like total points in the vote. So I'm not sure what Chris Dunn did this season, but he got some votes here and there. Other than that, like I don't have a problem with the first team. I think Rudy Gobert is definitely one of the best defensive players in the league just in terms of his rim protection. We talked about Giannis, AD. I think the same things you can say about Giannis, you can say about AD. Marcus Smart, you touched on him. I think he's also one of the most defensively savvy players in the league. And Ben Simmons, I think he's a player that doesn't get as much shine on the defensive end just because a lot of people like to tend to focus on his shooting ability and his shooting woes. But Ben Simmons is one of the best defenders in the league, in my opinion, perimeter anyway. Like, I think he can lock up a lot of players on the perimeter and he, he can just impact games that way with his size and his athleticism. So having a defender like that in your guard position is definitely a start to a successful team. But I mean, I don't know, Elton Brand in the 76ers, I'm not sure if they'll be able to figure it out regardless. Anyway. Yeah. And one more thing is I, I want an audible mention. I really, um, I really like Jimmy Butler. Mm. Um, I think that he could definitely, he's in the conversation for sure. I mean, it's, if you're if it's by position, it's kind of hard for him to like beat out a guy like Kawhi Leonard, but his tenacity and his impact on the defensive end um, actually like inspires his team yeah. and his efforts. So I really look at Jimmy Butler as someone who deserves to be in the conversation for sure. Also, another interesting uh, development here: if we were talking about Raptors, Fred Van Fleet received two votes, or sorry, two points. Um, Jason Tatum received 20 points. Pascal Siakam received 10 points. Not mm-hmm. sure if uh, Pascal Siakam or Jason Tatum is the better defender between which one is the better defender, but that can obviously be debated. And LeBron James actually received seven total points for the voting in this this year. So clearly a lot of uh, voters have noticed LeBron's uh, attention to defense this season, whereas it's been kind of absent in the regular season in past past couple of years but Ron seems to have made a concerted effort on that end anyway we spent a little bit too much time on the award winners here let's get into the playoff talk so 
do we want to start out with the wounds that are very fresh in our mind right now, or do we want to delay it maybe for later? No, let's get over and done with. Let's talk about the Raptors Celtics. Let's go. All right. The Raptors and the Celtics. Mm-hmm. What happened in game five? What the hell happened? Well, I mean, the obvious thing to say is the Celtics have definitely outplayed the Raptors. Um, and matchup-wise, Tatum is beating Siakam. And, you know, we've talked about Siakam and um, how we've been proud and impressed of um, how he's improved over the years. Yep. But I started to look and I'm realizing maybe there's like a plateau for him that he might not be that number one option. As I discussed in the last podcast, um, it's easy to be that number one option when you're playing like the Minnesota Timberwolves or the Phoenix Suns or like all another like weaker team. But when you're facing a tough defensive team, which people forget, like I'm pretty sure he had the, the Celtics have a top five offense and defense, right? Yes, yes. So this is a very tough matchup and this is the playoffs where the intensity is so much higher with the defensive matchups. Um, Siakam can't like uh, the Raptors. A lot of their offense relies on transition, and the Celtics have been doing a great job in stifling that. Uh, Siakam's game has been limited. We're kind of not to, maybe not to the effect of how Giannis was shut out last year by the Raptors, but the Celtics are kind of doing that to to, to Siakam right now in terms of how like we're kind of really seeing his weaknesses. Um, but also, this is also on Siakam himself because his decision-making hasn't been the greatest at times. Um, I don't know how many times I've had to, like, I'd get mad at Siakam taking just a very poor three-point shot when, mm. you know, I want him to do something a little different, a little post-up, a little spin. Um, but give credit to the Celtics. Um, they've been doing a good job. I think with last game in particular uh the raptors were just not shooting well at all like no like the first especially the first quarter that was just brutal to watch things clanking everything and the thing was like even at that point like like the the celtics like they weren't doing that great offense like the raptors were playing pretty well defensively but the league was still pretty bad because the raptors couldn't hit anything no like literally anything like in the beginning, the only person who was kind of showing up in the beginning was OG Adenobi. Yeah. Um, but after that, like, it just, like, it was just a mess. Like, I, I was getting really frustrated because I'm like, where was the dominant team that I'm so used to watching? But at the same time, you've got to give credit to the Celtics. They've been doing amazing defensively. Switches. Uh, Daniel Tice, I have a lot. I've gained a lot of respect for that, uh, for him at the center. Um, he's been very... A, a very big part of that team success. Um, Jalen Brown, uh, Jason Tatum, the young stars, they're both doing amazing. Marcus Smart, as I touched earlier, um, good defensively. Kemba Walker, he is a shifty player, man. He's a killer. That guy, he is a killer. And it's like, you, he, when you think about like you really get to finally see Kemba Walker play with actual players. Yep. And you're seeing what he's capable of because he's – He's definitely not like how Kyrie was for the Celtics. Like he's he's he can be dominant, he can be a ball dominant player, but he can also be a good teammate. And mm-hmm. it's really showcased the difference between when Kyrie was on the Celtics and what Kemba's doing with the Celtics right now. 
Uh, shout out to Brad Stevens as well. He's been, you know, he's definitely uh, a good coach as well, obviously. Um, and it's been showing in the playoffs. And I don't know what to say. Like, in turn, I'll let you talk. Uh, we can talk about um, what to expect for uh, uh, next game. But what are your thoughts on the last game for sure? I'll tell you what, man. I'll let, I'll let our viewers meme my face right now because this is the look I had on my face when the Raptors were getting their asses kicked. Um, I can say to your point about OG being like the best player to start off the bat, like if OG is your best player in the first quarter, like the first couple minutes, you know, you're the Raptors are in for a long night. I'll I'll just say that like that, that right off the gate was just, it was a bad sign. And I think in this game, the Raptors just looked very tired. Kyle Lowry played 40-plus minutes in back-to-back games. I think same with Fred Van Fleet. On your words about Pascal Siakam, I think part of it has been just the Celtics as a team have really done well in limiting the strengths. So you talked about the Giannis comparison. I think in this case, it's like it's very similar, but Pascal doesn't have the physical advantages and physical gifts that a guy like Giannis has where he can still put up 23 and 14 and like, you know, and that's shutting him down, but shutting down Pascal Siakam is like him scoring 10 points, which is yeah. not enough for the Raptors to win this series not at all. And I'll say this, the fact that the Raptors have even gotten to this point where it's going to a game six, it's all because of Kyle Lowry. This is all Kyle Lowry's doing. And, I mean, not like 100%, because obviously it's a team game. But Kyle Lowry, right off the bat in game three and four, he set the tone, attacking the paint, getting those paint points, and opening up his shots for his teammates. And that just didn't happen in this last game, where you see like the Celtics honing in on the Lowry drives, whether it's Tice at the rim blocking him or players swarming him as he drives. They're not going to let the Raptors get that. And they're also not going to let the Raptors get that transition game. The things that the Celtics have limited the best in game five were the transition game and the three-point shot. When you take those two things away, what are the Raptors? And really, you can't really say anything much about the Raptors when you take away those two things because the Raptors don't have a dominant isolation scorer that can bail them out in slow, sloggy possessions. And on on the words about Daniel Tice too, I think the Celtics' bigs, They've really, really shown that Marcus Saul is just a little washed up at this point. And I'll tell you what, Marcus Saul is still a positive factor on the floor. I think in it was either game four or five. He only had like four points or something like that. I think it was game four. And he was still a plus seven on the court, whereas Serge Ibaka had 18 and he was just a plus zero. So Gasol still has an impact defensively, but when you're out there and t- the team's just leaving you open and you still can't make shots, whether it's like yeah. little jimmies or, you know, mid-range shots, even open threes. Those open threes are so key to the, the reason why the Raptors are losing. And when you look at the team in general, you're just looking for options on offense. So who's it going to be? Pascal? No. Is it Lowry? Well, he's tired. Van Fleet? Well, he can get shots off on three, but he's going to get nullified when he gets into the paint just due to his size. Yeah. Like it's not the most consistent finishing. Right. Then you can look at a guy like Norman Powell who had a decent game in game five, but still not exactly what you're looking for. Just not consistent at all. And then you run out of options, you know, Serge Ibaka, he's been very good 
this whole series, I think. And a lot of people are calling for him to start, but I don't necessarily know if he's the option either because in the actions where he's involved in guarding the pick and roll, he just gets like cooked every time. Like Kemba's just going to step back and pull up shimmy, pull up that mid-range shot, and it's money every time. You could say it's green, but, you know, bad puns aside and everything, I just think the Raptors, they're running out of options here. And if they can't get a, if they can't find a way to get Siakam going early in the game, I think this may be it for this Raptors team this season. And that's just because, like I said, there's no offense coming from anywhere. Your defense can be so, so good to the point where like you're limiting a team like Boston to like 20 something points in the first quarter. But if you're only scoring 11, that's, that's not going to get it done. And guys like Leo Rodins and Jack Armstrong, they say this all the time on the Raptors broadcasts. Like when you play good defense, it helps to make shots because it's going to fuel you to get back on the other end to get another stop. And when the Raptors aren't making shots, it just looks like they're getting more discouraged every time. And it's just harder and harder for them to get a shot against this terrific Celtics defense. Right. And when you were, you were talking about like the Raptors don't have that guy who can just like get that bucket for you. Uh, you know, and Siakam played that role a little bit. Again, when we talked about it, uh, I talked about it earlier in the regular season against the weaker team. Mm-hmm. Playoffs, we don't have that guy. I mean, like Lowry to an extent can be that guy, but he can't be that guy every night. But it's just the size, and um, he, he's not. He, his game is more play that bucket if he like once in a while, but he's not that go-to guy. While the Celtics, you can argue. Uh, sorry, there's two. I would say there's two. You can argue even three, maybe. I mean, yeah. you look at Jason Tatum. Kemba Walker can definitely create his own shot. And then Jalen Brown at times can definitely do that too. So that's where the Celtics have us for sure. Um, and that's where it comes down to in the playoffs, you know? Like, we can play all this good team offense, uh, especially with the Raptors' main focus on transition during the regular season. But the playoffs is a whole different game. Think about last season. Like, our, when we were making that championship run, when it came down to, like, the crucial moments, we gave Kawhi the ball. And there were moments, I know earlier on in the playoffs more than later on, because in the later on, we, it was more of a team effort. But definitely early on, especially, like, the 76ers series, like, we basically, everyone, sorry, everyone else on the Raptors were basically scared to even touch the ball. Yep. They literally threw it back, like, hot potato to Kawhi. Kawhi was like, yeah, I'm, I'm that guy. I can make that shot. Mm-hmm. We don't have that. I was hoping that Siakam could develop to be that guy. He's showing more and more that he can be a very good complimentary player. Um, it's a little disappointing. Um, I, if I move past that, that idea that we don't have that guy, my next biggest hope is that we can play super well as a team where we can like substitute that missing void. Mm-hmm. But when we're missing shots like the way we are, like we're bound to get blown out by a good team uh, against a good team like the Celtics. Um, and then even if we, like, I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but quote unquote, say like we do make it to the next round, it's probably going to be the Miami Heat, you know, Jimmy Butler is that guy for the Miami Heat too. So again, that would be a mismatch. Um, Mm. so either way, I don't know how far the Raptors can go. Um, I guess I'm proud of where they've gone so far. And if we get eliminated tomorrow, then so be it. Um, but 
like people can look at us and be like, we're missing that one guy. We're missing that Kawhi, you know? I tried to, we, uh, I tried to like kind of like, because I wanted, I want pe- wanted people to respect the team, right? And the, mm-hmm. the, the complimentary players that we have, the, the Lowry's, the Kendra, uh, Fred Van Fleet, um, the Norman Powell's, Serge Ibaka, but we can't deny it now. We need that number one star to win a championship, to be a championship team. I don't know when, I don't know where we're going to get that guy, but unless we have that guy, it's going to be real tough to win the championship, be a championship team. And I really see that now, um, this playoff run. Yeah, now more than ever, you miss a guy like Kawhi. But what made that Raptors team so special is that even in those times where they were struggling, yeah, you throw it to a guy like Kawhi, he can bail you out and get two points, easy. But what made that Raptors team special like going into the end of their playoff run was that they still had Kawhi to do those things, but then they just started knocking down shots all like, this is what I like to call offense by committee where everybody's knocking down shots and then the offense is just like wide open. But I think the reason why the Raptors had those good looks and why the shots were falling is because there's always that threat of a guy like Kawhi can take over. And I think the Celtics definitely know that Pascal Siakam will not really have a chance to take over in the same sort of manner and that can just let them hone in on everybody else and it just takes that one player in a game to break open the game and allow other people to get good shots we saw it in the series with Lowry with the way Lowry plays like when he's super aggressive taking it to the rim hunting his shot the Raptors they're a hard team to beat like even when Kawhi was there I think Lowry was still that engine and he's still that motor that sets the tone for the team. But when Siakam can't be that guy, and let's face it, he's not that guy, and there's definitely a lot of things he needs to work on on his game to be that guy. Like, I'll, I'll just say it now. I think the Raptors are going to get eliminated in game six. I don't know if they have a chance to win this one in seven. If they do, I will be super happy. But – Regardless, I think this season is still something to be proud of because like we were saying in the conversation with Nick Nurse winning the coach of the year, I don't think a lot of people expected the Raptors to even make it this far. And the fact that they have is shown that we have good development and we're still on the right track in terms of like our chance, our chance to repeat as champions in the future. But as of now, you know, it, it's going to be tough to, def- to defeat a team like this Boston team. And just something I want to throw out there, um, Boston, like I've heard some good team comparisons for them. Uh, I was listening to the No Dunks podcast this morning and Tass Mellis, he he mentioned that this team sort of reminds him of the 2012 OKC Thunder, like a bunch of young young guys and uh, some dominant scorers. And I just thought that was a really interesting comparison and insightful and also really painful for me because I remember that team making the finals and uh, as a Raptors fan, you know, we're used to heartbreak, but I guess we were really spoiled last season with all like the drama of Kawhi's shot and then winning the title in Oakland, you know, defeating Giannis after going down 2-0, like we were spoiled. I think it's time for us as Raptors fans to just come back down to reality. And what's that reality? We've taken the L. That's Toronto, man. We just take L's. Toronto just takes L's. And when Toronto doesn't take L's, Brampton takes L's for them. So 
He's going to put this up here now. Sorry, guys. Anyways, on a brighter note, or were you going to say something there? No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. On a brighter note, the Heat are about to beat the, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks if they haven't already. Well, let me just update the score here. Oh, yep. It's over. The it's Miami over. Heat have officially defeated the top seeded Bucks in five games. Five games. Um, we were talking about the series previews that we did in a couple episodes back that never really released. I believe um, you had Bucks in seven, right? Yeah. And I had, I had Heat in six. So I was like a little more spot on, although to be fair, if it wasn't for Chris Middleton's heroics, this Heat team would have swept them for sure. Yep. Regardless, they got gentlemen swept. And we're looking at the uh, Miami Heat moving on to the Eastern Conference Finals. So I know to a lot of people, this was surprising. But to me, I wasn't really surprised at all because – Sorry, go ahead. I wasn't saying wow as I was surprised. Oh, I mean, I'm not surprised at Miami winning. Mm-hmm. I'm more surprised at how the, the, the Bucks lost. Yes, exactly. Because they just, com- like Giannis was completely nullified. Like, I think he was a minus on the court. I mean, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I remember seeing something on Instagram where it was like a graphic and they were saying that Giannis was a minus on the court. And then the Bucks actually performed better when Giannis wasn't playing. Granted, they lost this game just now with Giannis not playing at all. But the fact that he was a not, he was like a minus on the court, and I think too, the reason why a lot of people were surprised is because many thought that you know Giannis was just gonna like bully his way through. But I think the Heat have done what the Raptors did last year, but they've just done it even better. They per- they perfected the wall strategy in guarding Giannis Antetokounmpo and just limiting his points in the paint. And I think, too, they've just limited a lot of the supporting cast, too, on Milwaukee. Like guys like uh, Eric Bledsoe, we love to like, criticize Eric Bledsoe on this podcast for some reason. But he was just a non-factor in general in this Miami Heat series. And that's why. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, that's exactly why the, the Bucks have gotten defeated in this series. Because when you look across the board, like even in this game, the Heat, they didn't have anybody score above 17. But they had multiple guys in double figures. Jay Crowder, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Gordon Drogic. You know, Duncan Robinson didn't do well, but Tyler Hero picked up the slack with 14. Kelly Olynyk with 12. They got a lot of guys on this team that can just put up points. They're veterans. They know how to play defense. And nice team comp for this one. Uh, I've heard someone comp- – not someone, but, like, just random people on Instagram can, like, compare this Miami Heat team to the 2004 Pistons which mm. I thought that was a pretty interesting comparison. Although I think the Pistons didn't really have a guy like Jimmy Butler to be like one of their like shot creators. Like, I don't know. You can, well, you can some people say Richard Hamilton. You could argue a little bit Richard Hamilton. A little bit, but I think Jimmy Butler is a little bit better of a defender better, yeah, and yeah. a better like mid-range shooter. Although Rich, Rip Hamilton, he was nasty from three. And yeah. Chauncey Billups, I think he's probably better than like Goran Dragic in them. But interesting team yeah. comp. And I think this team is tailor-made for the playoffs, especially this time of year. And they're exactly what I wanted the Raptors to be, just in general. Like, I wanted the Raptors to be like this. And the fact that Miami's being successful at it, I can't help but root for them. And 
to be fair too, Budenholzer got completely exposed in this series. Like, I don't know. His job may be on the line here because last season, you can argue that they should have won that series. That game three went to double OT, I think, or OT, yeah. something like that. And, oh, yeah, OT. Yeah. And they ended up losing that series in four, four straight losses afterwards. And then they almost get swept here. Is, is Budenholzer, does he deserve this reputation of being a regular season coach? Because as far as I've seen in his career, he's had multiple 60-win teams that have gone, like, flamed out in the playoffs. He's getting exposed again. Um, there are many different things I want to talk about with this Bucks team because I – like I said earlier, I'm a little surprised at how they, they went out because, you know – Giannis, like, he was frustrated last year. I remember, like, at the end, like, he was really frustrated. And he – I really felt that, okay, like, maybe he'd make the adjustments and get better for next season, you know? Like, people now know his game. And I'm, I thought that he understood that people know his game now and realized he can't play the way he plays all the time, especially in the playoffs. Right. So I didn't really think much about the regular season other than the fact that, like, you know, this team, I believe this time the Bucks can, under Giannis's leadership, carry the regular season play to the playoffs. I think that's why many people have the Bucks going to the finals. But there are several things to talk about. I'll get to Giannis in a second, but let's talk about the complimentary players. Chris Middleton is not an all-star. Whoa. Oh, I mean, the man I, had like 30 plus in the game where they were about to get eliminated and hit the game. Okay, winner. but think about it. Like if he was playing like an all-star alongside of Giannis, they could have won at least one of those games. If Giannis, I, I, Chris Middleton, Middleton needed to be that guy, you know, like Batman needs that ro- his Robin, you know, Giannis needed Middleton to step up and Middleton only stu- stood up when Giannis was gone in game three, when, uh, sorry, game four, sorry, uh, when it was already over to begin with, right? Mm-hmm. So Middleton has been disappointing for, especially with the title that he was given, he's not deserving of that. He, I'm not saying he's a bad player, um, but he's not, he's not a second option. I, I don't think so. You um, know, the thing with well, Middleton for me is that, I think he is a good player. I think he's an all-star level type of player, but I think I don't think the problem is necessarily with Middleton because if you look at how he fits along Giannis, he's a really good shot creator. He's efficient, and he's also a three and D guy, so he can play defense. Yeah, I that's think, the guy you want. Yeah, exactly. Like that's that's the prototypical wing you want in the NBA in right. this this era. But I think the problem is that they just have too many specialists. I think um, I'm going to credit the Bill Simmons podcast because I was also listening to that today. And they're talking about how the, the Giannis led bucks right now are running into the same problem that the LeBron led Cavs did when the LeBron's first stint in Cleveland, where there's just a bunch of three point specialists around LeBron. And there's not really like someone, another like playmaker shot creator that can play alongside Giannis. And Bill Simmons loves to compare Giannis to Shaq because Giannis is like a guy that can't really like he can create a shot just due to his sheer athleticism in the regular season. But when you get into the playoffs where teams are actually scheming to stop his game, 
it's difficult for Giannis to create a shot in that sense because, you know, his game is just getting to the rim, dominating the paint. And when he can't do that, he's limited. So I think in general, Giannis needs some guy that can play make for him. Where, that, is Middleton that guy. And I think Middleton is a guy that you'd want on your championship team. I think he's a guy that you'd want like right. as your second, third guy on your championship team. Third but, team. I'm oh, sorry, third player. I think yeah, he's sure. more than third player. Because he how many games has he disappeared? I'm not even just talking about this class. Even like when we talked we think about the last series, I'm uh, sorry, last year's series against the Raptors. Yeah. There's been games that he's like for like four points. Yeah, he's and a I'm complete playing, non-factor sometimes. A complete non-factor. Kind of like, uh, I hate to say it, like how DeRozan would play in the playoffs sometimes, ooh, you know? Ooh, old we, You know it's true. You know it's true. I know it's true. I'm sorry, Demar. <laughs> we love you, but it yeah, happens. It's like, true. That happened. I mean, on DeRozan, like, I remember there were times where we wouldn't even play him in the fourth quarter because of how much of a non-factor he is on the court. So, Middleton, like, he, he can't play like that. And... Um, another thing, I touched on it last uh, podcast. I want to bring up again. It was a big L getting rid of Brogdon. The team got worse. I I strongly believe that. Like Brogdon is a real, the type of guard you want in the NBA. Playmaker, the, shot creator. Yeah, exactly. So, so what Eric Bledsoe isn't, you know? And you can, I think Bledsoe's game would not be as magnified if, um, uh, sorry, uh, I'm blanking out. But, uh, <laughs> Brogdon, sorry, Brogdon. Brogdon. Yeah, sorry, if Brogdon was there because um, Brogdon can excel on um, Bledsoe's weaknesses. Yes. So, and then Bledsoe can be just more focused on his defensive game and speed that he brings. I The, Bro- the Brogdon-Bledsoe backcourt is an actual pretty efficient uh, backcourt, but now if it's just now it's just uh, Bledsoe, you really really get to see how limited his game is. You know yeah. he's not gonna do much. Um, he's a turnover machine, uh, and he's he likes to cough up those bricks, man. He likes to build yeah, and the brick houses. Yeah, absolutely. And I I mean, the team is like they've got players. You know they've got Devincenzo. Uh, the, obviously the Lopez brothers, uh, Corver, but which is fine. But at the end of the day, like Giannis, which I'm getting back to now, Giannis, I don't know what his next steps are. We can talk Ooh. about his off-season future, uh, off-season future uh, later on in the podcast, I guess. But Milwaukee, like um, if you're a Bucks fan, you definitely got to be disappointed. Like if anything, you took a step back from last year. Yeah. I mean, obviously because of where they got eliminated and how they got eliminated. But just the expectations, uh, the players disappointing. Like you can give them a little bit better to the doubt last year because you can be like that could have been a learning moment. Mm-hmm. But what about this year? You know, you did you clearly did not learn from last year. Um, the team got worse, and the future is up in the air right now. So if you're a Bucks fan, like I really thought that if there was any year for them to win it, it was this year. Because yeah. next year, uh, the Brooklyn Nets are knocking on the door. So. I don't know, like the Bucks. We can again. We'll talk about it later. But very, dis- very surprised at how they got eliminated. But to the Miami Heat, like kudos to them. Deep, well coached team. Um, they got shooters, man. 
and they got players who want to play athleticism. They've got it all. Like anything you want in a good team, like they've got it. So they definitely deserve to be in the Eastern Conference Finals for sure. All right. So before we move on to the uh, next series here, we're just going to briefly flash this meme from NBA.com. I'm green <laughs> because I'm wearing a, a green hoodie, but basically we just got Bambi over here. You all know Bambi from the Disney movie, Bambi, uh, an orphan, dear, sad, sad story. I don't think there's a meme more fitting for the, for the Bucks right now than this. Uh, the guy on the right, the, the buff buck, that's the regular season Bucks, and then the playoff Bucks is Bambi. So sad, sad times for the Milwaukee Bucks. And we're definitely going to talk about Giannis's future towards the latter half of this podcast. Right now, we're going to get into another series here. So we've talked Raptors-Celtics. We've talked about the Bucks and the Heat. Let's move over to the Western Conference. We can talk about the Clippers and the Nuggets. That series has mm-hmm. been surprisingly a little bit more closer than we expected because we just expected mm-hmm. the Clippers to sort of bulldoze over them, and they kind of mm-hmm. are. But if, you're gonna be, if I'm going to be honest, I didn't expect them to drop that game too. And – the biggest knock on the Clippers this season has always been their consistency because at times they play like they're the championship favorites where they're a top five offense, top five defense type of team, but that consistency isn't sustained over that regular season. So there's always questions about whether this team is going to show up as that title contender or it's going to like, you know, coast. And that's kind of what they did in game two, in my opinion, but Hey, they, they stepped back in game three, and that was a game that Denver should have won. They were leading until like around the fourth quarter when the Clippers came back. Can we talk also about Kawhi's, like, miraculous finger block? Like, middle finger. Middle finger, like, bro. Like, right like this. Like, let's say this is a ball, and he block, blocked it, like, with his hand, and then the ball is about to reach, and he just blocked it with his finger. Like, bro, big I, mean, I don't, don't want to flash people, but – I think yeah. that should be like Kawhi's new logo, to be honest. Because like you know, his like <laughs> logo. I think that would be more funny because Kawhi, like he's a funny guy, and he had like his ring, his championship ring fitted for his middle finger, the one that he yeah. wore to Toronto. So I just think it would be more fitting because now that he has an iconic moment with his middle finger, I guess ironically, mm. it would be a funny logo choice. But aside from that, this series has really been Nikola Jokic's time to shine. And Mm -hmm. he has shown that he can be dominant. But if the Nuggets are going to win this series, it has to be on Jokic alone because I don't think Jamal Murray is going to get it going this series. Like I was saying in the last one, I just think the perimeter defense is too good on the wings for a guy like Murray to get going the same way he did against Utah. And – Hey, man, we got a sighting of playoff P in that last one. We got 32 points. Um, I guess we can retire the name pedestrian P. Uh, we can mm-hmm. just call him playoff Paul George or whatever, playoff PG. But, hey, man, t- tell me your thoughts on this series right now. This has been a very, very exciting series to watch. Um, I see two good teams going at each other. Mm-hmm. Um Jokic is such a fun watch, man. Like, he – like, if you didn't know much about the game and you just looked at him, you wouldn't think that he's that dominant of a player the way he's been dominant. Like, 
and his passes, his vision is absolutely amazing. There was that one pass, I think it was a pass to Jeremy Grant, I think, where he he threw it like easily, like a football from <laughs> like full court, like, and it was yeah. right on the money. That's a center. And people don't, I feel like even though we understand that this game, we still underrate it because like people don't realize how ridiculous that is for a guy like, I think that's why we call him a point center. Like he's just the offense runs around him. He's obviously a very important player uh, to the Denver Nuggets offense. I really love his game. Um, again, great playmaker. Um, but then also the pieces on the Denver Nuggets team. They're a deep team. I mean, we t- you talked about Jamal Murray. I mean, yeah, he might not get the numbers like he did against the Portland Trailblazers, but I still see him as a, like he is a second option. Like, he is how um, Chris Middleton uh, should be playing for the Bucks. Like, he, he's really playing, like, that second option. So, I really like Jamal Murray's game. I'm a big fan of him. Canadian, again. Like, I really love that guy. Um, and then, like, some of the other players, like Michael Porter Jr. Man, he had a nasty dunk last game. Mm, nasty over, over the sixth man of the year, Harold. That was mad, yo. Oh, my God. Like, and his dad was there watching, and he was, like, Yo, his, his dad was like, like right after to, right after his dunk, he was just like this, like what the, what the hell is that, man? <laughs> well, he's just yeah, trying to keep it cool, like well, he's just trying to say like you know like yo, my son could do this Bruh. in his sleep, you know. I think the like, man was half asleep. He wasn't. He's he wasn't saying his son could do it in his sleep. The man was asleep. <laughs> I don't know, man. But yeah, his the emergence of Michael Porter Jr. That guy has got a bright future. I'm telling you, if he stays uh, healthy. He can be, he could even be that second option, and Jamal Murray could be that third, drop down to third. But that would just show how scary Denver, the Denver Nuggets are going to be for the next like few years. Like, Don't forget about the god Bull Bull. And that's that too. Like, that's another guy who can definitely emerge. Um, and then, like, they just got, they got guys who can play. Jeremy Grant, uh, Mason Plumley has been like, I, never realized how much of a like his career got resurrected um on the Denver Nuggets because like I never saw him as much of a center like I think about like the Brooklyn Nets um can't remember where he played after that but that led him to Denver Nuggets but he's just been like like kind of like how he kind of plays the power forward role sometimes in the way like Jokic would be the center and kind of like Oop, um, Plumley in that role. Like he says, he's just been a good, solid player for them. Uh, the Denver Nuggets are just a good, deep team. And whether they go, they win the series or not, if you're a Nuggets fan, you gotta be excited. Like I, I'm excited for you. Like I would love to be a Nuggets fan with that future that you guys have. Um, and with the Clippers, I mean, the Clippers are the Clippers. I mean, Kawhi had that one uh, off game game two I believe kind of like two off games now like eh, by Kawhi standards anyway that last Kawhi, game yeah, had, yeah. I don't know yeah well but I'm not I'm not going to I'm not too worried about Kawhi too like that much because you know we know that he like he's proven he's a two-time finals MVP so I'm not worried about him but uh, uh, Paul George um, you know he's having some good scoring games here and there but I'm still on defense with him like he's going to you can I count like on him to choke in like one of those. Yeah, moments. he has a track record of that. So I'm not that. I'm not gonna get too hyped over his scoring games. Like it's good, but it's 
I'm waiting for him to choke again. Like I'm not, I don't have a lot of faith in him. Um, and then the depth, you know, that the depth is the depth, you know, Lou Williams can get a bucket for you if you needed. Montrez Harrell, solid guy off the bench. Um, Patrick Beverly, uh, when is he coming back? Or did he come back? No, he hasn't come back. Uh, he hasn't come back yet, but he has complained no. about uh, flailing in in particular with uh, Jokic and uh, Luka. <laughs> I mean, flailing. Rich coming from a guy like Beverly, who is like one of the most notorious floppers in the league. I mean, yeah. I'm pretty sure Beverly would like kick my ass in a fight, but I'm not trying to fight him anyway. I'm just saying like, that's, that's really rich coming from you, Pat. So yeah, big hypocrite there. <laughs> um, I could definitely see the series going to seven. Oh, like I'm saying it's seven, like, cause, but I probably would take the Clippers winning the series in seven, but I feel like I predicted in the, my predictions, but, um, it's not going to be an easy series for the Clippers. I really like the way Denver's played. Um, Mike Ballone is just, he's been a good coach. Like he's definitely a player's coach as in like, he's always gotten the respect. Um, I, I never liked the firing of him with Sacramento. Like I think I've always liked him as a coach. So I, it's nice seeing him do well with the Denver Nuggets and um, yeah, whatever happens with them, you got to be proud as a Nuggets fan. So. Hey, quick Mason Plumley facts. Did you know this guy made the U.S. national team? <laughs> Mason Plumley. <laughs> Here, hold on. I'm going to pull up the actual uh, year he was in the USA team just to make sure. Yeah, I remember that actually, yeah. Was he on the team with Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan in Rio de Janeiro? No, I think he was no, on no, the team that. in uh, 2014 FIBA. Uh, where was that? That was uh, so that was the FIBA World Cup, not yeah. the uh, Olympics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he actually made that team, and he was he was on the roster just because the U.S. team lacked a bunch of like big guys. So Mason Plumlee apparently was the next best pick. <laughs> Granted, that was in 2014. I think he was a little bit in his prime still. He was a high draft pick too, right? So he had that. He still had that going for him. Okay, he he was a twenty second, twenty second pick. But, but like he was on a Brooklyn Nets team. He was on that team where that like you know people thought they were actually good with the Paul the Paul Pierce Kevin Garnett. Um, Nets. Yeah, so, so Mason Plumlee's got a FIBA gold medal. So put some respect on my boy Plumlee's name. Although <laughs> at the same time, I'm gonna say like sometimes this guy looks like Bumley instead of Plumlee. He plays like yeah. a bum sometimes. But, hey, man, it is what it is. I'm just trying to lighten the mood because the Raptors are just – they've gotten me down this whole day so far. But I picked the Clippers actually to win this one in five. So, if I'm, really? close, if I'm close with my uh, predictions, you know, I predicted every first-round series right except for the OKC Thunder and Rockets series. I picked OKC to go in seven, and they lost on a block. Right on a game-winning attempt. So, I mean, I don't, I'm not really losing any sleep on that one. But, yeah, I, pick, I picked the Clippers in five just because while Jokic is that factor where, same like Porzingis in the first round, the Clippers don't really have a perfect matchup to guard him. The Nuggets aren't going to stop Kawhi Leonard, though. And I think that's ultimately going to be the factor in the in the Clippers winning this series. And 
it's just whether they're going to do it in dominant fashion in five or it's going to, you know, Nuggets get another game and they push it to six or seven. So we're going to have to see with that as it develops. But regardless, pencil it down. I got Raptors – or not Raptors. Uh, man, I can't get the Raptors off my Stuck mind. In your head, yeah. <laughs> I got the Clippers in five. Clippers. And yeah. you got the Clippers in seven. Yeah, but I would I want the Nuggets to win. I trust me, I want them to win. But I realistically I think we're through. I'll tell you what, man. If if the Nuggets and I don't know, if the Nuggets and the Miami Heat make the NBA finals, nobody's gonna watch that. I mean, we're still gonna watch that because it's our job, but that's not an appealing finals matchup, man. I mean Star Factor, I guess, but it- as a basketball fanatic fan, I think that's still, that'd be a very entertaining series. Yeah, I, I'd have to agree. Like a basketball nerd's like dream, I guess. But, mm-hmm. eh, I don't know, man. It's not a series with a lot of headlines. But regardless, we're not there yet. We got to talk about the Rockets and Lakers first. Mm. So the Lakers did the classic thing of dropping game one. For some odd reason, LeBron teams, like, they actually have a pretty good track record of uh, – track record of dropping game ones so mm. i mean lebron just basically said after that loss you know the lakers were just getting adjusted to the rockets and he was right the lakers came out the next game and won anthony davis was dominant but i don't know for some reason the lakers were like underdogs in the series from uh, a lot of people like people are saying the the rockets can beat them in dominant fashion but I mean, I keep going to the same points over and over again, but from what I see from this Rockets team, they're just inconsistent. Like some nights they play so good that you think, wow, this, this team could win the title. But then like the next night, you know, shots aren't falling and then everything falls apart. Like if you, if you defend the three pretty well against the Rockets and they don't make it, the Rockets are done, in my opinion. Okay, so the big player like the big guy I want to talk about right now is Russell Westbrook. Let me go on a little bit of a rant, a little bit. Westbrook, Westbrook. Exactly. This guy, man, I don't get him. Like he, like you said, brick master. Like he was clanking everything. His decision-making has been horrendous. Now I want to say this, like that Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook trade was a terrible trade. Um, not even just, I'm not even talking about the draft picks, just strictly player for player. Like, I know that Chris Paul's game wasn't as, like, showcased as well as when he was, as he's been playing on with the OKC Thunder. But let's not get it twisted. Like, the Houston Rockets from a few years ago with, with uh, Chris Paul and Harden could have beaten that Golden State Warriors team if, if Chris Paul wasn't injured. Yeah, if Chris they made it to Paul was seven. playing, yeah, they would have. I think they would have made it to the, to the NBA Finals because Chris Paul was, uh, uh, especially in that series, a very important player for that team. And you replace him, a guy with high IQ, uh, better efficiency, better playmaker, a uh, better mid-range shooter, with Russell Westbrook, who I guess more athletic, uh, more explosive, but incredibly inefficient, poor, um, poor efficiency, poor decision-making. Um, 
his playmaking is nowhere near like Chris Paul. Like I've talked about it before, uh, Russell, and I think you've seen the V-Ball breakdown video too, yeah. where Russell Westbrook's assists are kind of like the 2K Chiefs where you like pass it last second yeah. and force the player to shoot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that's, he's, that's so dumb. So he's so overrated with his quote-unquote playmaking. Yes, he gets the assist, but it's literally like take the ball and it like I don't want to get that turnover, which is funny because he's also a guy who turns the ball over a lot too. So he's a negative factor. He's only like like an eye grabber star because eye, eye grabbing star because of how flashy and how athletic he is. But man, especially in the playoffs, man, his game he, his game is ugly. And he is not a, a good factor for any team. Um, I know he's best friends with James Harden and all that, but they downgraded there for sure. Yeah, um, I was, was going to bring that up. Yeah, and James Harden definitely, if he, they want a chance, he, he's got to like, and to his credit, he's been playing pretty well in the playoffs so far, but he's got to like play like that. That's those, that score that he was doing in the regular season, he needs to be consistent throughout the playoffs for the Rockets to have a chance. And then obviously the complimentary players of uh, Robert Covington, uh, P.J. Tucker, and Austin Rivers, Daniel House, they all need to nail their shots as well and stretch the floor. But it, it's all harder because we know that Westbrook, he's going to be an inefficient, inconsistent turnover machine. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I think I just had like a little bit of a brain blast uh, if, if you've seen Jimmy Neutron before. But I think in general, if you're trying to win an NBA title, you want like two things. You want specialists that can specialize in like one or two things, which are your role players. So whether you have a bunch of specialists defensively with a three-point shot, you want those type of guys. But then you want players that can be multidimensional too. So for example, Kawhi Leonard, he's a guy that plays defense, can lock anybody down, can create his own shot in the mid-range and three-point, he can post up multi-dimensional and then you know you look at a team like Houston for example James Harden he's multi-dimensional in terms of his playmaking his shooting and his defense is criminally underrated in my opinion because he's gotten like a bunch of flack in the past years for not playing defense and granted that was fair criticism but I think you can end that criticism now especially after his block against Dort but yeah James Harden multifaceted player Russell Westbrook I mean, he's kind of like a faulty, multifaceted player, but his game is pretty one-dimensional in terms of just using his sheer athleticism to drive. In a similar way, he's like a six-foot-three Giannis, just in terms of the way he plays the game, you know, minus the post game. And then the Rockets, they just have a bunch of specialists that shoot threes. So I think they're kind of running into the same problem that Milwaukee runs into, where they don't have enough guys that can do different things. And just in general, that's what shows when the Rockets offense is not on and they're not hitting threes. So I think in general, the recipe to win a title is you need to have at least three guys that can be like multifaceted in their game. So if you look at last year's champions, the Raptors, you got Kawhi Leonard, who is like, you know, everything. Pascal Siakam, beside Kawhi Leonard, I think he's he is that guy too. Because he can put more concerted effort on defense when a guy like Kawhi Leonard is carrying the load on offense and he can find his offense in transition. And then Kyle Lowry, you know, we, we talk about Kyle Lowry forever on this podcast. 
He's a great defender, good shooter, playmaker. Like, you need three guys on your team that can do multiple things, and then you need to surround them with specialists that can also, you know, contribute here and there. And I just don't see that team makeup in general in Houston. I see that a little bit in L.A. because you got a guy like LeBron, AD. They can both create their own shots somewhat. And, the, you know, the AD-LeBron pick-and-roll is lethal. And we talked about how the Rockets don't really have an option to guard AD, and he went off last game. And the biggest question with the Lakers is just the role players, who's going to show up and who's not going to show up. So I think in general, this series, I mean, in my bracket, I picked OKC to advance. So I picked the Lakers in five against OKC. But with the Rockets, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Rockets take another game. But I also wouldn't be surprised if the Lakers finish this one in five. Yeah, I didn't really touch on the Lakers because – I mean, they've definitely got their flaws with um, their bench and their inconsistencies. But um, I think we can definitely dive deeper into that in the next series where I really see the Lakers make it to the the Western Conference Finals for sure. So, um, yeah, the the Lakers are definitely when LeBron 80. This this should be pretty easy for them. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to touch back on what Russell Westbrook again. I'm going hard on him right now, but like, you know, Russell Westbrook gonna be coming for your ass if uh, he hears this. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's gonna chase down some dude in Brantford just like talking about basketball. Yeah. <laughs> no, but like, um, this is make, really makes OKC the OKC Thunder their, their decision to trade both both Paul George and Russell Westbrook even more smarter. Like. Uh, Sam Presti, I believe his name, the, the GM, like he definitely deserves like the GM of the year because wow, like the job that he's done in getting rid of do- both of those players who we now we really, really see like they, like w- when Paul George um, got traded and uh, Russell Westbrook got traded, I was saying like, oh, like, well, the oh, sorry, before that, we were talking about how like, the chemistry between Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook wasn't working and who was the problem. Right. And, you know, it was kind of easy to see that say that it was Kevin Durant because he's the weak player who left for golden state. And I mean, that's, that's a whole other discussion about like whether he was right to do that. Like, um, but then seeing what Westbrook, like now he's gone from OKC Thunder. he's moved on to uh, the Rockets. You really see like how he's played. And then, Paul George, who we know that is notorious for his his play during the playoffs as well. So the OKC Thunder had two players who both couldn't perform in the playoffs, like the expectations at given and the money that they were being paid for. So they got rid of both of them. Paul George for a crazy amount of draft picks and a young star in SGA. And then... Um, Russell Westbrook, um, yes, you take on Chris Paul's contract, but he's helping the team right now. And then they also got two first round picks for the future. So, and they like that move was supposed to be a salary dump and draft picks for the future, but they also, in a way, like are a better team. So, I don't know, just the OKC Thunder, they 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 destroyed both trades. Um, 
So I just wanted to point that out because uh, both of the players, Paul George and Russell Westbrook, have been playing, haven't been playing that great during these playoffs. Can I just say too, in hindsight, that pairing of like Russell Westbrook and Paul George, that's like a match made in heaven in terms of like playoff chokers. Yeah, no. That's a match made in heaven. Like you just gotta add DeMar DeRozan on there. Yeah. <laughs> DeMar DeRozan, yeah. Add DeMar DeRozan in there. Perfect. But Perfect. hey man. You gotta give it to Russell Westbrook though. He gets those stats. Huh. Oh yeah. Does, like, does it uh, lead most to dubs, triple though? doubles? Yeah, most triple Much doubles in a regular season. Like, yeah. I think Russell Westbrook's going to go down as one of those players that's historically dominant in terms of like his athleticism and his stats. But when they look at his resume in terms of what he's won, like aside from MVP, like what, what else can he really be proud of? Like maybe one finals appearance when he was young? Mm. Not really. And if he ever wins a title, maybe it'll validate him. But, hey, man, until then, we're just going to keep harping on Russell Westbrook till, yeah. till the sun goes down. Durant, I see you. I hate to say it, but I kind of see Yeah, you. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I thought about Durant after that one game where he was, like, choking, where Westbrook was choking in the yeah. last one. I just yeah. thought about Durant. He's probably sitting somewhere watching this, and he's like, yeah, I told y'all. I told y'all. And, hey, man, KD is snake, but I, I think he knows what he's doing. So you Well, then you think about it. You think about it, then. I was going a little off topic, but then. Do you think that that Russell Westbrook, KD, and James Harden like team can mm. actually were actually going to be a dynasty? Like, like are they actually like we we say that they should be because like the superstar talent, but can, could have could they have actually coexisted? Because you saw that Russell Westbrook and KD didn't work well together. We're seeing right now that Harden and Russell Westbrook aren't the best duos. All three of them together, like I know they they just by name and by statistics i get by stats i mean uh they could be a dynasty but when you really think about it maybe they maybe it wasn't the worst thing that they split up mm-hmm. i think it's premature to say that if that team stayed together they would have won multiple championships like yeah the warriors did i think when you're building a team especially with like multiple superstars like a la the miami heat with lebron wade and bosch or the celtics with mm-hmm. Burnett, pierce and allen for it to work those stars need to like really check their egos out at the door. They need to, you know, <laughs> be okay with taking less shots and be okay Russell with like, that guy. Russell ain't that guy. Exactly. Russell is not that guy. Not right now anyway. And, you know, Durant and Harden, like people say that Harden wouldn't have developed the way he did if he stayed in OKC. And I think that's fair. Like he probably would have just developed like any other sixth man like, like Jamal Lou Crawford or Lou Will. Yeah. Yeah. Those guys. So it was better for their careers individually anyway to split up. They're all at MVPs now. You know, they didn't win a title, but I think if they stay together, I'm not sure if they do win it either. Cause at some point it's, it's like what Pat Riley says, it's the disease of more. Like when, when you start winning, when you reach a certain level of success, you just want more. And when that becomes too much, like ironically saying that that's like a double positive, but when players want more, that's just when the egos are going to go up. And then that's when, all right, I'm, I'm out. It's also the fact that they didn't get much. I know like for the, the James Harden trade to Houston, OKC did not get like anything back. I'm thinking like, uh, I think Perry Jones, 
um, Jeremy Lamb. Kevin Martin. Yeah, exactly. Not really anybody notable. Obviously, they lost Kevin Durant for nothing. Yeah. Um, but then, like, uh, Russ, the, the Russell Westbrook trade was the good trade. And I think, like, like they were, OKC had been making some poor decisions up to a certain point. And then they just started making, like, amazing moves. I think, um, was Sam Presti the GM the whole time? He's, yeah, he was, he's been the GM since, uh, I think, when they drafted Westbrook or Harden. I'm not sure. Wow. So he, I, I don't know what, what happened because it was like a 180 switch. Like I went, I looked at him as a guy who should be fired. And now I see him as like, what are the, the executive of the yeah. year? Yeah. Like, I don't know, like if maybe he has a better team around him or something, or maybe he just clicked him. Cause like he got nothing for a lot of players and was just, just constantly making the team worse. I mean, the Sergi Baca trade too, right? Yeah. Um, for, for what was it? I, and I then Oladipo, yeah. and then they let like go of Oladipo, and he blossoms into a star. So uh, Sabonis too. Like, yeah, I Sabonis. Yeah, two future All Stars. So the OKC like the, that well, doesn't make any sense. Really well, but they've recovered very well. It's really fun. I don't know what to think of him because maybe in a few years he's going to screw up those draft picks later on because they've got plethora of them now. But it's like, what if they create another big three and then they do the same? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. The don't future, know the future is already. definitely like bright in terms of their draft picks. But you know, draft picks are always going to be a mixed bag in terms of like what you get in the draft. Um, yeah. In terms of like talking about Sam Presti as a GM, I think the problem is he just suffers from being in a small market. So the biggest like decision that I think a lot of people criticize Sam Presti for is not paying James Harden to keep the big three together and you know we talked about how it might have not worked out but let's say it does right and that changes everything but I think the fact that they're in a small market it makes ownership a little more I guess stingy with their money because yeah. you know it's it's a small market there's not as much business as let's like let's say a Toronto or a New York LA any of those places right you just got less business so I mean ownership can't be to um, financially held down. So I, I don't think you can blame Sam Presti for letting go of James Harden. But, yeah, I mean, see, he's, he's been one of the better GMs as of late, and I think he's really helped the Thunder turn it around after disappointing playoff series with pretty decent teams. Like we talked about the Paul George-led – or Paul George and Russell Westbrook-led Thunder – Mind you, Carmelo Anthony was also on there. So um, you could tell that was going to be a dumpster fire. But, hey, man, you got to give credit to Sam Presti. I, I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if he won executive of the year just after the season that the Thunder have had. Like, if it's anybody that's going to win an award from the Thunder, like we talked about multiple people, Schroeder, Billy Donovan. Come on, give it to Sam Presti, man. He, he, I think he should get it. Absolutely. All right. Oh, I think we got to talk about the offseason, right? Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about offseason a little bit more in-depth on another one. I just want to get to the whole story about Giannis. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm talking about, yeah. That's, Giannis. that's the most current thing we've got right now. So put yourself in Giannis's mind, okay? Last year, you know, you lose a tough series to the eventual, the eventual champs, and kind of hang your head a little bit, but you're like, you know what? We're going to come back better next year. 
And then the Bucks let go of Malcolm Brogdon. And you're Yikes. like, huh, well, that sucks because he's one of the better players on the team. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you just go through the offseason as usual. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they pick up some guys like uh, Wes Matthews, for example, pick up the other Lopez twin. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't think of the other, the other additions they had in this offseason. But, you know, they try to fill pieces here and there. You go through right. the regular season, everything's fine, you know, dominant as usual. Like, statistically even more dominant than last year. Mm-hmm. Then COVID happens. The league stopped for, like, a couple months. And we're back in the bubble. We're playing. And then we're not playing good anymore. Like, we're 7-9 and nine in our bubble games. I guess 7-10 and 10 after losing the last game against Miami. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, well, shit, where do I go from here? If you're Giannis, where are you taking your career? Okay. Or so let's let's let me, it. No, let me. Like, yeah. If you're Giannis, where do you go? If you're the Bucks, what do you do to keep Giannis? Okay, I'll I'll break down both then. Okay. So Giannis, there are several options, and I'll break down what I think he's thinking with each. Bre- bre- no, break down option. the best possible option for him, and then I'll bring up something different if if what we have in our heads are the same. Okay. Okay, well, then I'll go with my first instinct is actually, I think he could potentially stay. And here's Ooh. why. Uh, well, that's like the first thing that pops up is um, he, like many players, are definitely influenced by Kobe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think that like he's one of those guys that I could definitely see him being loyal. Um, I don't really know much about what Milwaukee as a city is like mm. um, other than it's kind of cold. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think a thing to note is he's an international player at the end of the day. Like he's Nigerian, but he grew up in Greece. I don't think that like living in the big cities of like an big, the LA's the Miami's New York's uh, matter to him as much. Um, yeah. As an international player, he's not born in America. He's not not to say that he doesn't understand American culture, but he wasn't born in American culture. Um, and I think he's kind of found a home in Milwaukee. I think the Milwaukee, like, it's where he was drafted, um, developed his game from this raw young prospect to the superstar that he is right now. Um, I think that, yes, Milwaukee has made some poor decisions in terms of um, who they've picked up for him or who they've let go, particularly Brogdon. Yep. Um, but I could see a, a situation where Milwaukee would be like, listen, Giannis, like, I know this has been your team, but we're going to really make it your team if you stay. Like, you will literally be the mayor of the city, uh, the mayor of Milwaukee. And, like, you will have even more say into what we do with the team. And if you are able to carry that team to a championship, you will be a hero. And I think for him, like, obviously, I don't know him personally, but I could, that, that could be something he might be thinking. Like, I really see the Kobe mentality. <laughs> listen mm-mm, like mm-mm. i get i get the state of the nba like well, people want to like you know 
join forces and that type of stuff. But I really, um, that's just one of the options I'm considering. I'm not saying he's definitively doing that, but I could definitely see that the Kobe mentality was like he wanted to stay on one team for his entire career. Jamar wanted to do that with mm. the Raptors, but he couldn't do that. But Giannis is a different player. Like Giannis can be the number one option. Like despite some of his struggles, he still can be that guy. Look, um, I, I'm glad you brought up the Milwaukee option because it's. I definitely, just wanted to bring that as one of the options. Like it's, it's not. I'm not saying it's not. I wouldn't bet money on that. Yeah, I wouldn't bet money on it either, but I'm glad you brought it up because it's something that people aren't talking about right now. And I do think there's still some things that they can do. Like, namely, if they trade for a guy like Chris Paul, maybe it changes everything because, you know, he's that leader that can play around Giannis that, you know, can cater to his game and they'll still have a guy like Middleton maybe. Who knows? But I don't want to talk about the Bucks because I think they've blown it. Yeah, Look, I agree. that that argument you made about like Kobe wanting to stay on the same team, there were a couple of years where he was ready to go. Like I know, but he's they ready did, to he traded the Bulls. I heard like the you know Mark Cuban on the JJ Redick podcast. Yeah. He was talking about how the Mavericks are ready to trade for like you know they were going to trade like Jason Terry, Josh Howard, and like some picks for Kobe. And, I like, know the deal, was, the deal was about to happen, although the Lakers pulled that pulled like you know pulled back from the deal which smartly they did but, but that's what you, i'm saying that could potentially happen like maybe it's close with the conversations they're having now but maybe at the end of the day like it won't happen I don't know, i'm just putting it out there come on <laughs> yeah i mean i'll give you credit for that that's that's definitely a viable thing that can happen but yeah. the, from what i've seen from Giannis, he's not a guy that's bound to one place because you know like he didn't grow up in america he he can move wherever he wants but I think the biggest factor of him is he wants to be great. Like beyond anything, he wants to be one of the greats when he retires. Mm. He wants to win a title more than anything. Like the same way we looked at LeBron in 2000, was it like 11 or something? I don't know. Whenever LeBron hit free agency for the first time, we remember that, you know, he, he wants to win a title no matter what, and he's going to go anywhere that he can to win that. And I think Giannis in general, he's, I, again, I don't know him personally, and I'm not in his head. But just seeing from what he what he is, I think he's more of a win-first type of player more than anything. So I think if he's looking around at Milwaukee and they're not putting the right pieces around him, like if they won't trade for Chris Paul in the offseason, Giannis is definitely gone. Because at this point, Bud looks like his job might be on the line. He might get fired. What can another coach do? And what what can another coach bring to the team that can change the team with the personnel that, you know, the Bucks GM and Bud put together? Because at this point, they're kind of locked into their roster in terms of guys like Middleton, Lopez, Bledsoe. They're locked into that core. What else can they do? The only option is training for Chris Paul. But if they don't do that, Giannis is gone. And here are, I'd say, one and two, like, I, I know I said you should only mention one, but I just want to say like two and I'll say it like super quick. The Dallas Mavericks are an interesting option for Giannis. Ooh, I didn't think about Dallas at all. Listen, Whoa. man, you put a guy like Luka Doncic. I know, dude, your heart just skipped a beat. You're just thinking about it. That's beautiful. Yeah, that's cheese. Yeah, it's cheese. Like, that would be broken. The that's league would be broken. That would be like the best team in 2K history. 
and they would dominate the league. Like, I don't know if they have to trade Porzingis for that deal to happen. Or oh, if, my if they God. sign him in free agency wow. and add him alongside Porzingis, it's over, man. It's over. We're all Mavs fans now. But <laughs> yeah, just to be Whoa. fair, I've been a Mavs fan since like Luca was drafted. So I'll say that. Oh, I'm a Mavs fan. I support my yeah. Support Mavs regardless. But yeah. If they get Giannis. Mark Cuban could do that though. He has he, the money. Yeah. Yeah, they can definitely do it. Like wow. if they just uh, get off some of the long-term deals, and I think they might have a, enough cap flexibility in 2021. So we'll see. But if Giannis is trying to win and he's winning, like if he wants to be in a dynasty, those guys are like still young enough to where Giannis can play with them. Like Giannis is not that old yet. He's only in like wow. 26, 27-ish age, I think. So yeah. you put him alongside Luca and Porzingis for like three to five years – that's at least three championships, I'd say. At least. <laughs> at least. And we don't even know how good Luka Doncic is going to be in five years. But yeah. that's probably the most intriguing option for me. That's kind of like when LeBron, when, you know, LeBron was hitting free agency and they're talking about, oh, maybe he can go to Miami to join Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. And you're like, whoa. That's like the same type of level of excitement that I feel anyway. I think it would be better. I think that team could surpass that Miami team. For sure. Like, that is, oh, my God. And especially since they're both all fairly young. Giannis, yeah. I think, would be the oldest out of the three. He would. So, wow. Yeah. And then what about your other team? Because I got and, a few teams, too, actually. You know, Go we got to talk about the Raptors. Huh. The only reason why they're in the running is because of the supposed link between Masai Ujiri and Giannis, which, um, honestly, like, I don't know how much of a factor that plays. All I'll say about Toronto is it's an international city. I think Absolutely. If, it's, if Giannis feels at home in Milwaukee, I think he'll feel even more at home in, in Toronto. I think like all the Greek restaurants in Toronto would probably just give Giannis food for free. Exactly. And not to mention, it's a pretty good place to raise a family. Like, you know, like, yeah. be, it's not the United States, so that's already like a lot better for like his family. But just in general... This Raptors team, they're always finding these gems in the draft. Like, you know, players that are playing in the EuroLeague, for example, like a Matt Thomas, they're always finding talent somewhere. And, you know, Pascal Siakam hasn't been that guy, like that Kawhi guy. But I think just if he's playing under Nick Nurse's system, I think Nick Nurse will find a way to utilize Giannis better than Bud did. And Absolutely. The Heat and the Raptors have been listed as front runners. Apparently, like apparently, it's an open secret in the bubble, and we we were talking about this like in the restart, how like the tampering is going to be like a little bit crazy, on the restart podcast that we did a yeah. couple like weeks ago. So, I hope I hope uh, Messiah Jerry made some visits to uh, Giannis and you know told told him about the life in Toronto, because not gonna lie, it would be pretty nice to see Giannis in a Raptors jersey. But if I'm Giannis, like if I'm Giannis, and I'm trying to think of where I'm going. I'm going to Dallas, no doubt. Just, just saying. Well, briefly on the Raptors, I mean, the African connection is a big thing. Um, like, and with Masai's work with um, what he's done with, uh, uh, with, in the, with the, for the continent of Africa, where he would come, go every summer to help the people there, um, and then build it, his loyalty I mean, keeping Siakam when we could have uh, 
he could have traded him and Fred Van Fleet for Paul George and Russell Westbrook. Um, I think that stuff like, and then having Serge Ibaka, who's also African, um, yep. even though he's from the UK, I believe he's also African himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, that stuff matters. Um, and I think that matters to Giannis too. So I could definitely see Giannis going to Toronto. Um, that's definitely an option. I think that he would find a home there too, just like you said, international city, uh, good, well-coached team. Um, just imagine the length of athleticism of Siakam and yep. Giannis. Like that would just be so much fun. But my other team, I, uh, you mentioned Miami brief, uh, briefly, and I think you could talk about Miami more. Um, but the team I wanted to bring up, Golden State Warriors. Oh, okay. I could definitely see that. Uh, especially if I could, like, I know they said they want to trade that second overall pick that they have, but mm-hmm. say they draft James Wiseman. You got Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Giannis, Blank, or I guess Draymond. It's interchangeable. I'm not, I don't want to, like, Draymond, you know, whatever. But, like, Giannis, three or four interchangeable. And then James Wiseman as well. Now, that's another team that would be like, whoa, if they yeah. got Giannis. Because I don't like, uh, I still say Kevin Durant's a better player than Giannis and will always be a better player. But still, like Giannis, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and then James Wiseman as well. Like, that's going to be an exciting team. Or if they draft Anthony Edwards or LaMelo Ball, like one of those guys, or whoever they trade that second overall pick for, like, I think that would just be uh, an exciting team. I think that people would critique Giannis if he went to Golden State. Yeah. Just of you know the Golden State um, hate that they yeah. get, um, and I think he, if he went to Miami, he'd get sort of the same hate that Durant did. He's like, oh, you just lost to them, and now you're gonna go to them. Oh, that too. That could that's an interesting. I mean, too. the same thing can be said about the Raptors, but that's a little less recent. So I think less people would be like you know harping on him for that. But Miami, like, okay, you mentioned Miami, Bam and Giannis together. Ooh, with There's Jimmy a, Butler. Yeah, my creators they have too. Like it's it's pretty interesting prospect as well. I think the I, f- I forgot what the statement is. It's like something about like oysters or something. The world is, the world is Giannis's oyster, just in terms of like what he can do. He can literally mm-hmm. literally go anywhere and be successful. It depends but, on what matters to him more, like winning like, or like you know staying in milwaukee and being loyal to the franchise i think it's going to come down to which is like more important between where he's going to raise his family yeah or um loyalty to continents if he goes to uh toronto i think that that would if he goes to toronto that would be something that he would clearly be a big reason but those well the Dallas one, like you brought it up as a surprise because I haven't heard that much combo about it, but that's that would make sense too. Um yep. even like um, I've the things I've heard that are pretty wild are like Phoenix potentially and hmm. Portland. Like Stephen A. Smith just brought up like, you know, Damian Lillard and Giannis. And I'm like, okay, well, you're gonna literally put Giannis on like every single team now and say it's gonna be a good fit. But I'll say this. I think Generally, if Giannis wants to be like a multiple time champion, it's a no brainer for me to pair up with the most sensational teenage basketball player we've ever seen in NBA in like basketball history, Luca, who's only going to get better. 
And then, and then there's, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, Porzingis sorry. too is a big question mark because yeah. of his injuries. But if he's healthy, it, to me, it, it's a walking mismatch because they're all demigods for their position. I was going to say like um, the international part also plays a factor. I think that Dallas for me has built this reputation of like we, they've had Dirk, nobody's yeah. and now they got that the dynamic duo of Luca and uh, Porzingis. You get Giannis, he's another international player. I think that like international players have like a bit of a vendetta against American players, rightfully so. I mean, just going back to the whole like when the All-Star game used to be like America versus the world. I mean, they do that with um, the, the rookie the, sophomore, the sophomore game. Yeah, yeah. So there, it's just a bit of a thing where um, even like how uh, NBA analysts or uh, talk about um, European players, prospects versus European prospects. Like that's how they underrated Luca, and that people thought that it was okay to draft uh, DeAndre Ayton and Marvin Bagley over Luka Doncic. Uh, like, Ayton's not a bad cool. player, but Bagley hasn't shown anything yet. Um, I won't call him a bust yet, but he just hasn't shown anything yet. Um, but how do you miss on a player like Luca? Like, wow. You know, just. all this speculation, too, just could be all for naught. Because like we were saying earlier, the Bucks they could still potentially turn things around. But a lot of things are going to have to That's why I put them out there. Exactly. That's why and I put them out there. A lot of things are still going to have to, like, you know, go their way. They're going to stop to make some moves. Fresh yeah. off the presses. Tim Bontemps on Twitter. Giannis just uh, was quoted. Hopefully we can learn from this and get better as a team. Come back and hopefully build a culture in Milwaukee for many years that can come out here and compete every single year for a championship. So just the stuff you were talking about earlier, how he's committed, he might be committed to staying in Milwaukee and winning a championship there. But if you're asking me, this type of talk has happened before. You know, of course, yeah. that's what you have to say in the moment because you don't want to fuel like any rumors, blah, 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 but people are going to talk regardless. And I mean, look at Kyrie, man. The man guaranteed that he'd stay with the Celtics. Yeah. He, he's like, fans. if you guys will have me. And then he's like, I'm out. Yeah. The, the words but, mean nothing, no matter what. Yeah. Words mean nothing, man. I mean, even in like relationships and life in general, like this type of stuff, you can't trust this. <laughs> And, you know, we don't have to get too deep on this podcast, but all I can say from this is this is the politically correct statement that Giannis has to say right now because everyone's asking him, you just got, like, basically swept. What's next? And then he just has to say that. So we're not going to read too much into the tea leaves for this moment, at this moment anyway, because I'm sure we're going to have a lot of podcast episodes in the future where we talk about Giannis's uh, potential options in free agency and the developments around that. But I think we've gone on long enough for this episode. Make sure you guys stay tuned later in the week for our next episode of the podcast. We'll see what happens with the Raptors, if they're going to still be alive or if they're going to be extinct. But till then, stay, stay cool, stay classy, and we hope everyone stays safe out there. Till next, then we're, till next time, we're out. <laughs> see ya.